From Springfield, this is State Week, a program of analysis and commentary on the events that made news this past week in Illinois state government and politics. I heard one colleague talk about the right. I would call myself one of the right. Um, I love my guns and I love coal. I hate tax increases and it will hurt small business to do this. But I also think it hurts small business when you ask them to do business with the state and then we don't pay them. Let's forget about the New York bond houses and let's do what's right for the taxpayers of this state. They are going to get screwed again by Pat Quinn's budget. This is Pat Quinn's budget all over again. Let me tell you something very clearly. I was not, I was not elected as a state legislator to help preside over the financial destruction of this great state. I think that politicians on both sides, they have kind of taken some of the messaging to the extreme. This is not just a slap in the face to Illinois taxpayers. This is a two by four smacked across the foreheads of the people of Illinois. And I'm calling on members of the General Assembly, do not override my veto. Do not vote to override my veto. Impasse politics do not work. They do not work for the state of Illinois. They have never worked. So for those of you who say there's a better option, great. Do you have the votes? You do not have the votes. Our options are this or financial meltdown. Well, it finally happened. Illinois now has a budget. The two-year impasse has come to an end. But there are a lot of people still unhappy with the final product, and we'll discuss what happened in the legislature and what might still be to come. That's ahead on State Week. In Springfield, I'm Sean Crawford, and I'm joined by Charlie Wheeler. Charlie is director of the Public Affairs Reporting Program at the University of Illinois Springfield. Also in our Statehouse studio today, Brian Mackey, Illinois Public Radio Statehouse reporter, and Monique Garcia, the state government and political reporter for the Chicago Tribune. Monique, thanks for being on with us again. Thank you for having me. Well, both of you in the state house, you know, I, I have yet to hear from a Democrat or a Republican who did not feel the state needed a budget. But how this one came together, there is plenty of disagreement. We know it passed. They overrode the governor, bipartisan votes. But how did this come to happen? And what else took place behind the scenes? You know, it seemed to be something that people have been calling for for a long time here, which is a legitimate sort of bottom up people working across the aisle, uh, Democrats and Republicans going to their leaders, uh, really, Demo you know, Republicans going to Democrats, Democrats going to the Speaker and saying, you know, we want to vote. Let's remember last weekend, shortly after we taped our last show, the Speaker said he was going to send the legislators home for a couple of days. There would be no substantive action on bills the rest of Saturday or Sunday. We had been having a week and a half of session at that point, And the Republicans started hooting and hollering. Somebody yelled, Speaker Junk at uh, Speaker Madigan, and uh, reportedly later that day, some Democrats went to the Speaker and said, you know what, we think we need to start voting on this stuff. And this by the end of the day, the Speaker had changed and said, okay, we're going to vote on the tax increase on Sunday. And there was a lot of drama leading up to that. But uh, in the end, at that point, 15 House Republicans, I did a little math, that is one in three, roughly, I think it's like 29%, but about one in three Republicans in the Illinois House defied 
their leader's position and defied their governor's position. And that is an exceedingly rare thing uh, to have happened in the last two years. This governor has had tremendous loyalty um, from particularly the House Republican caucus, but really from all Republicans in the legislature. But almost one out of three of them said enough is enough. We need to have a budget. And as one of them has put it recently, uh, Representative Steve Anderson from Geneva, there's really no amount of uh, business friendly reform you could have at this point to make it worth the damage that's been done to Illinois. It seems to me the more in, the most interesting development has been kind of this rejection of the political leadership. Historically, when these kind of deals get done, uh, we see the leaders meeting with the governor um, in their offices behind closed doors for days at a time, which in, did indeed happen. But that's not what brought about a resolution. There was not an agreement between the governor's office and Speaker Madigan and Democrats. Rather, it was this sort of uprising among the rank and file who, you know, they go to dinner together, they get beers together, and they've really shared the frustrations that they've seen um, in their districts and also by they're kind of, you know, historically aligning behind their leadership and not really seeing much for it. They said it's hard for us to go home and just say, hey, we're waiting for the big guys to figure it out and for us not to take the votes that we need to take. And that's really what forced a vote here. I mean, the speaker has been very clear that um, he wanted at least 30 Republican votes on this, and that was intended to help protect some Democrats um, who are targets. He didn't get that. In the end, initially, it was 15 Republicans who broke ranks. Um, and and that number even uh, dwindled to about 10 by the time of the override happened yesterday in the House. Um, but it was enough uh, to change the momentum and, and really allow people to vote their conscience. And the speaker, you know, however you want to phrase it, some members went along. There were people who voted in the end as those Republicans pulled off. Uh, one of them left the country, apparently, uh, to go to, to Russia. And then there were four others who uh, Not decided to change their votes, as far as we know. <laughs> and uh, I did see somebody on Twitter saying, boy, if, if uh, Putin screws this one up for us, too. Um, <laughs> it was a Democratic person. Uh, but uh, the, um, you know, the, the there were four Republicans who explained, you know, I went back to my districts, I got an earful, people are really upset about this. And, and I just can't support overriding the governor's veto on this. I think we need to negotiate further. There were that that required um, for Democrats to change their votes, including State Representative Sue Scherer from Decatur. She also represents part of Springfield here. And she has she had been quoted in the press saying why you know she voted against the tax hike when it came up earlier in the week, but then flipped her vote to vote for the override. Um, it really goes to show that uh, you know that that it seems like once, as Monique said, there was momentum. Once this thing, the ball had started rolling, people had put their names out there, and uh, they were able to bring it in for a landing. Candidly, I had you know when people have asked me over the last really the last six months or so, since, especially since the grand bargain started falling apart. You know, when are we going to have a budget? Are we going to have a budget? I was really beginning to think that it was a distinct possibility we would somehow muddle along until January of 2019, when the next person or either Governor Rauner is reelected and sworn into his next term, and we have to, you know, the Illinois would have to deal with that reality, or another person would be sworn in and, and they would figure out where to go from there. So I, I think... Um, People are surprised at, at how this came together. Frankly, both sides said that they thought that this would go on for another year. Um, and when you, when we had talked to Speaker Madigan throughout this last week or so, we asked him at one point, like, were you surprised by this vote? And he didn't answer directly, but he made it.
made it very clear that this was a result of rank-and-file members um, pressuring him and pressuring others for a vote. There was an interesting news conference with the speaker this week where he talked about, and this is spin to some extent, but he talked about how he views the governor's, um, you know, tries to sort of force people to go along. I can't remember the exact term he used. Uh, in, I don't know if it was intimidation or something like that. He said he always works through persuasion. I'm sure Charlie can speak to this, having had many more years to observe the speaker than I have. But it, it does seem there have been times in the past, and this is one of them now, that despite the speaker's reputation for being the velvet hammer and, and you know being able to, to browbeat and cajole and intimidate people to do his will, he, he is also responsive to his members. And that is part of what makes him powerful and, and helps him maintain his power is that, you know, when push comes to shove, he does work for his members as well as being their leader. Charlie, you've watched government in the state of Illinois for a long time. Was anything surprising to you that occurred over the last few days? In, in a sense, this this whole thing has been surreal. And yeah, I've been watching this stuff for darn near 50 years. Uh, We've never had anything like it before because we've never had a situation in which we've had a governor like Bruce Rauner. And listening to his comment, I, I thought to myself, you know, at the top of the show and his outrage, um, I thought to myself, he's either the greatest actor ever and the biggest hypocrite on the face of the earth, or he's just totally politically naive. Think about it for a second. He doesn't have his his poll-driven pet items, property taxes, term limits that have absolutely nothing to do with the state budget. He can blame Mike Madigan and the Democrats for raising your income taxes when I fought with everything I had, uh, with all the power at my disposal to stop it from happening. And he'll also have the benefit of not being the governor of the first state to be given junk bond status by the rating agencies and also to be able to start to repair the damage that has occurred during this impasse. So I would hope that the governor is politically astute enough to be saying to himself, man, I made out really well on this deal. Monique, do you think the governor uh, understands that going forward, that he really gets the best of both worlds here? Well, I think that we can see kind of the strategy developing um, from the Republican Party, which put out a press release immediately after the vote last night, basically warning those Republicans who split from the governor um, that they may face a primary. They said, look, we had made so much progress in standing together these last two years um, that you split and you abandoned us. And we have seen the governor um, involve himself in primary politics um, to try to unseat people who didn't vote the way that he wanted to vote. And there's no doubt that the governor has a lot of money um, and a lot of friends who are willing to, to spread his message. So I think that we will see that. He has spent um, the last several years making Mike Madigan, uh, branding him as the enemy of the state, responsible for all of the ill wills um, currently facing us. And that's not going to change. Um, you can see that in how he has said that this is Mike Madigan's tax increase, even though Republicans um, did support this. So we can kind of already see how he's carving this out uh, to help himself politically. You know, this is something where I think um, 
you know, as much as the governor, you know, the Republicans talked about how we've held together and, and they're, they were making progress. I think that what some of these individual members were seeing in their districts was quite different than that. We heard at the top of the show uh, from um, her name is escaping me at the moment, who represents Southern Illinois, the, the Carbondale area. She has Terry Bryant. Thank you. Yes. Who said, you know, I love guns. I love coal. She is pretty conservative. That's not just, you know, a pose, right? I think people were surprised by her vote on this. But she has Southern Illinois University, where, uh, you know, as much as you might want workers' compensation changes to improve the business climate, a hundred plus, I don't even, I've lost track how many jobs have been laid off at SIU. Reggie Phillips, who uh, represents Charleston and Eastern Illinois University. Hundreds of people laid off there, and student enrollment is down. He's a landlord in that area, and he, the when the Wall Street Journal did their story about Illinois' budget impasse a couple weeks ago, their anecdote was going through his town, and he described it on the House floor as, you know, they, they the story described, uh, you know, lots of vacant storefronts with for rent. I own some of those buildings. I mean, this is this is in these districts. This is a very different view of what the state budget impasse means. It's not just we're going to have to pay more taxes. It's you've taken the economic engines in some of these areas, particularly where state universities are big, and you have um, really hurt them uh, financially, and that's caused layoffs, and that's had ripple effects through the communities. And, and to that point, we talked to uh, Representative Sarah Wojcicki Jimenez from Leland Grove, and she said that really that that this went, this impasse has gone against conservative principles of being fiscally responsible. When the state is not paying contractors, but still entering into contracts, you have bills piling up to the tune of more than $15 billion. Small businesses are going under because they're not getting paid. Social service agencies are, are shutting their doors. I mean, this really became kind of an ethical crisis um, and a financial one in, in a lot of these towns. And she described as much as she's one of these people who had her cell phone uh, number somehow, I guess it wasn't leaked, but somebody put up a number and it just forwarded all these calls to her cell phone. And she was just getting call after call, some very nasty things she described. I saw her on Sunday. She appeared legitimately shaken by the experience. Um, later in the week, she said after she'd had a chance, yes, yeah, she was still getting a lot of Facebook messages and calls, but those were, she said, were mostly people outside her district. She said face-to-face encounters in her district. People have a connection here in Springfield to the University of Illinois Springfield, which I should add, everyone on the panel except Monique is an employee of, to Southern Illinois University School of Medicine, to the hospitals, which have been shorted millions and millions and millions of dollars as they wait for payment to for the work they've done taking care of the state employees on the state insurance program, and then just state employees in general. So for, for again, for some of these lawmakers, it was a question of fiscal conservatism and an avoiding junk bond status. For other ones, it was very much voting their district, which they had been content to not do in some cases in the past. They've gone with the governor on, um, you know, we've seen legislators who represent uh, large numbers of state employees go with the governor and against AFSCME uh, in the past. But apparently after two years of not having a budget, they decided that uh, it was time to try a different approach. Charlie, you can talk about slowing down the problems the state has by passing a budget here and, and stopping the bleeding, uh, so to speak. But at the same time, the state still has financial problems going forward. Even if this tax increase is there, they're still going to have to deal with some real fiscal challenges ahead. Oh, definitely. Uh, as was said earlier, uh, the outstanding bill totals are roughly 15 
billion dollars. What that means is that the first $15 billion of new revenue in the current fiscal year that started on July 1st is going to have to be used to pay those old bills plus whatever amount of interest. And it could be close to, what, what have they been talking about, $800 million in interest that we owe. And so that interest that we have to pay on these overdue bills is also money that won't be available for programs in FY18. So the notion that somehow the state was going to be able to settle its, its problems in one year, I think is unrealistic. Uh, the, the projection from the legislature's forecasting agency, the Commission on Government and Fo Forecasting Accountability, was that uh, they were expecting the FY18 revenues to come in at roughly $31 billion. And if half of it is already committed for other stuff, you can see where the problem is. And so in the best of worlds, what will happen is that the state will begin a trajectory where it will reduce its backlog, reduce its budget deficit, and work over a couple of years to get to the point where we're actually back in the black again. Well, we were able to ward off, it looks like, uh, the junk bond uh, status that we were so concerned about. Moment. But yeah, but Moody's comes out this week and makes it clear that uh, that cloud's not going away either. So uh, Monique or Brian, you know, what, what is Moody saying and is that going to have any impact on what happens next? Well, Moody's raised uh, very real concerns about the bill backlog, um, that debt, but also pension debt. Um, and this kind of brewing uh, accumulation of, fi of, of financial uh, responsibility that we've been putting off for several years. They also raised concerns moving forward about how this budget will be implemented um, against the governor's wishes. They noted that there's a bipartisan discord about how to really do this. And so does that mean certain things get paid off? Does that mean that there can be a borrowing stream to pay down these bills? Uh, we, they don't really know. Now, there there is a plan within this budget to try to borrow up to $8 billion to pay down the backlog. The idea is that you refinance it um, and you get a lower interest rate than we're currently paying to vendors who aren't getting paid. Um, but that does uh, require us to have a pretty decent rate. And Moody's has said that, you know, we're not totally out of the clear here. There is a possibility uh, that junk uh, status could still come, which of course would make that borrowing more expensive and will make, you know, this slog uh, out of the hole here a, a lot longer. Let's talk a bit about what's in this budget. What does it actually do? There are uh, we, we know about the, the income tax increase, but as the Democrats have pointed out, there are cuts in this budget as well. Brian, can you fill us in on some of what those are? Yeah, there's there's a lot. They're spread. It's said to be, I think, oh, at almost $3 billion across government. So uh, higher education, for example, takes a 10% cut to state universities. That Now, that's based, though, off of uh, fiscal year 15 levels, which is the last time Illinois had a full budget. That's, I guess, what, three budget years prior. So you have to imagine, and I haven't done the math yet, but there is some, um, uh, what do you call it, inflation. So that, I mean, that may even be a greater cut since there, that, that money in from from three years ago is already worth less or, or would buy less in today's dollars than it would have then. So that's at least a 10% cut to higher education. Um, 
just just little then then there are smaller cuts at the you know the the with individual programs at the state board of education um so it's it's uh it's it's across government there are also some pension changes i think monique mentioned earlier that that they rolled a lot of things into this uh piece of legislation that goes with the budget. It's called the Budget Implementation Bill. I don't want to get too bogged down in the details of that, but but there are some pension changes in there. It opens up a new um, uh, program, a Tier 3 pension option uh, for people where they can get into a, a 401k-style pension plan. Um, you know, that that's more about changing the long-term cost curve than, than actually, you know, present cuts. But, uh, you know, the, the one of the talking points that both Democrats and Republicans were using during the debates this week is that this bill is less money than the governor's introduced budget at his budget address earlier this year. Now, there are some ways that they kind of move money around in various accounts that that make that a questionable claim, but it's certainly within the realm of what the governor had introduced. It's not as though they raised uh, the income tax rate by 1.2 percentage points and are creating a bunch of new programs this year. I mean, this is still a pretty austere budget, and it comes on top of two years where, like, you know, state universities have not, I mean, they've had tremendous uh, lack of funding going back to fiscal year 20. Uh, 16. The, I mean, there's a part of that that's just never going to come back. So if you take, you know, the cuts for the present year and add them to that, there have been pretty uh, severe cuts in, in various parts of state government. And Charlie, you certainly have, of course, as we mentioned earlier, followed budgets for years in the state of Illinois. Three billion of cuts. Is that accurate? Is that, uh, is that are those real? To be honest, I haven't read all the bills yet, so I, so I, I can't say but I suspect that it probably is. And if what I've read is correct, the agencies and the universities are going to be given a lot of flexibility in terms of getting lump sums for some of their operations and saying, you know, this, this is only 95% or only 90% of what you had in 2015. You figure out how to make it work rather than appropriating down to the, the nickel and dime at very discreet amounts for very specific purposes. There was also something in this budget that uh, I think may throw a few people in that regard is regarding education and specifically education legislation that would change how the state funds schools. Monique, can you fill us in on, I think, what some have even called a booby trap that's in the budget? Sure. So um, as we're all aware here, there has been a whole lot of conversations about um, how to change the funding formula in Illinois. Uh, folks have long argued that it's unfair and it, it relies on property taxes too much and that school, poorer school districts don't get their fair share. So Democrats pushed through legislation earlier this year to, to revamp that um, and to, to send more money to these poorer school districts. The governor has called it a bailout for Chicago public schools because it would pick up some of their pension payment. Um, which uh, the state already pays for pensions for downstate teachers. So it's a matter of how you, you look at that there, whether or not you view it as a bailout. But um, as part of negotiations, Speaker Madigan had demanded that the governor sign this. Now, we all know that, that those bipartisan negotiations fell apart, uh, essentially. And so Democrats wrapped into the school, f uh, to the budget, a requirement that those dollars for schools will only go out if that bill that's on the governor's desk gets signed. So it's a question mark um, whether or not schools will see this funding. I mean, it really is kind of 
throws things um, into an area of uncertainty for districts who for the last two years, we've been the only part of state budget really that has had some certainty. They got funded uh, when other things didn't, and now they're kind of flipping the script here. I, I have a question for Monique. Does does the uh, appropriation bill specifically say Senate Bill 1, or does it say that this money mm-hmm. has to be allocated according to some evidence-based formula? That's exactly it. But there's only one evidence-based bill that has passed, and it's that and it's, one. And it's on hold now in the Senate, correct? They haven't sent it to the governor Correct. Yet? They have not sent it to the governor out of fear that he would veto it. So this is their attempt to build pressure on him from local school districts to make sure that he signs that bill. Yeah, and, and the Republican alternative and, is, is another bill that also is evidence-based. And by evidence-based, they mean supporting those programs that research and study has shown are effective, like having smaller classrooms or having more money allocated to kids who have learning disabilities, that kind of stuff. And the Republicans have uh, their own version of it. And I, I think one of the differences is, is how do you count the kids? Do you do it based on schools or do you based on individual students? And the difference being that if you do it on individual students, poorer districts are going to lose out because they're also losing enrollment as opposed to if you just do it by school then that change in enrollment doesn't make that much difference and brian i think you wanted to get in there i was just going to make the mainly the same points that charlie did you know the 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 governor says this is democrats trying to force a crisis the democrats say that this is something that everybody agrees needs to be changed. And they say that they couldn't have, you had to pick. Either we stick with the old formula that everyone from the governor to Democrats to legislative Republicans say is a bad way of allocating money. It hasn't been updated in decades. Or you put the language of the new formula and you kind of force the issue and say, well, we're going to have to come up with, uh, you know, one of these plans, either the Democratic plan, Senate Bill 1, or the Republican plan, um, and and get that into law. And it just kind Kind of forces the issue, and the, the really what this is going to come down to is uh, the uh, money for Chicago pensions. The the rest of the state gets picked up. the The pension costs of of every school district except Chicago gets picked up by the state government. That doesn't happen in Chicago. Uh, Democrats want to send some more money to Chicago, which is having a hard time meeting those pension payments. And the governor has been opposed to that, uh, using terms like bailout. And that's really where the difference is going to be here. All right, time now for our notes from the field. Monique, let's start with you. Well, uh, the Illinois State Board of Elections said today that it will not comply with the request from President Donald Trump's administration to turn over voting records. Uh, This goes to his claim that there have been voting irregularities uh, during last November's election, and he wants states to turn over all of this data. Um, The state board says we're not going to do it because you're going to make it public, and that's against our state laws. Charlie? Well, the University of Illinois Institute of Government and Public Affairs has come out with their flash index for the month of June, and it shows that the state is still growing, albeit a bit more slowly than it did the month earlier. And Professor Fred Gerritz, who prepares this, says the Illinois economy remains surprisingly strong in the current volatile political environment in the state, nation, and world. And Brian? 
I was, uh, as we were waiting for the budget uh, veto debate in the House this week, I had some time. I went back and, and was looking at some uh, polling from earlier this year about how Illinoisans feel about the budget impasse and, and how they want to solve the state's financial problems. Not surprisingly, uh, people favored cuts uh, to a greater extent than they favored raising uh taxes alone, although you, there was, it was about equal for people who want to raise taxes and and do a combination of, of raising taxes and cutting, which is actually the solution that, ha- that the, the legislature has approved. But what's really interesting is when you come to what people want to cut, education, no. Universities, no. Police and prisons, no. Natural resources, no. Poverty programs, no. Programs for people with disabilities, no. State pensions, no. Although that one is a lot closer. So, it just goes to show that public opinion is really schizophrenic on this, and that's why politicians have such a hard time navigating it. And that will do it for this week. I want to thank our guest, Monique Garcia, from the Chicago Tribune. You can get a podcast of her show at nprillinois.org and find us on NPR One. The production assistance today provided by Bob Meyer. I'm Sean Crawford. You've been listening to State Week, a program of commentary and analysis of events in Illinois state politics and government. State Week is produced in the state capitol by public radio station NPR Illinois. This is IPR, Illinois Public Radio.